Thank you, everyone, for tuning in for the season four premiere last week. And it was a pleasure, Chuck, but now it's time for this week's author. Morgan Jerkins is a New York Times bestselling author and senior editor at Zora Magazine of Medium. Jerkins' first book, This Will Be My Undoing, was praised for its brutal honesty, as well as with her second book, Wandering in Strange Lands, named one of the most anticipated books of the year by L. BuzzFeed, Esquire, Bitch Media, Good Housekeeping, Electric Literature, Parade, and Book Riot, and one of Time's 100 must-read books of 2020. She will be reading an excerpt from her fiction debut, Call Baby, about Layla, who desperately wants to become a mother, but each of her previous pregnancies has ended in heartbreak. And so she turns to the Melancons, an old and powerful Harlem family known for their call, a precious layer of skin that is the secret source of their healing power. She will be accompanied by an original story-bound remix with French cassettes. Everyone, Morgan Morgan Jerkins. Morgan Jerkins, and you're listening to Storybound Podcast. I'll be reading from my forthcoming novel, Call Baby. Welcome to Storybound, presented by LitHub Radio and the Podglomerate. I'm your host, Jude Brewer. In just a little bit, you're going to get to hear Morgan Jerkins tell a story about a woman who has lost count of her heartbreaks with pregnancies, but is now keeping this one pregnancy a secret from her community. Maybe if no one but her knows, then she will meet her child. Part one. Chapter one. Chapter one. Something was. Something was bound to have to happen to Layla's baby. Into Layla's baby. Into Layla's baby. Something was bound to happen to Layla's baby. And everyone from the pews of Abyssinian Baptist down to the northern shore of Central Park knew it. One of the last vestiges of the black elite in Strivers Row, she was the only one whose brownstone was not punctuated with the sounds of pitter-pattering feet or wails in the dead of night. The first few times Layla became pregnant, she couldn't wait to tell everyone who crossed her path. Then, weeks later, some of those same people would casually ask for an update and she'd reply, her face crestfallen, her posture slouched. As the first failed pregnancies turned into several, people stopped asking, though she never stopped announcing, hopeful that collective faith would carry her flailing belief in the power of her body and in God's will. Eventually, 
She lost count of how many children abandoned her after the first heartbeat or how many times she'd wake up with blood soaking her backside. Her body was desolate land. This place was no home. Some of the fetuses grew, saw the dents of their past siblings in her womb, and joined them in the ether. After they disappeared, they left a hollow hole as a reminder of what could have been. Seven months after her latest loss, Layla found out that she was pre pregnant yet again. She stared for a long while at the two pink lines, two pink pink lines that formed on the set of the pregnancy tests. In her earlier years, she would have squealed. She would have danced, knocking over Q-tips and tweezers and extra rolls of toilet paper. But this time, she turned toward the mirror, holding the test with one hand and with the other pinching the side of her belly, saying, don't fuck with me this time, please. Layla figured she'd keep this pregnancy a secret this time. Any woman with a smidgen of common sense should know that this child, like the others, would not live past the first trimester. She continued on with her life, attending social events around the neighborhood, busying herself with redecorating her home, and taking on the occasional interior design gig a skill she pursued out of love rather than necessity. Her husband, Ralph, an architect, was usually out of town at least two weeks a month due to a long-standing assignment in Boston. And so he barely noticed the extra snacks lying around when he returned home or her frequent dashes to the bathroom. Neither he nor anyone else suspected anything. That is until one night, Ralph returned home a day early and found a copy of what to expect when you're expecting lying half open on the arm of their love seat. Who do you think about? When Layla emerged from the bathroom, wiping her mouth, a few droplets dotted her slip so that the satin clung to her belly, clung to her belly, emphasizing its roundness. Who do you think about? He shook his head while holding the book with both hands and smiling as he approached her. She stood like a deer caught in headlights and headlights and while holding the book with both hands and smiling as he approached her. She stood like a deer caught in headlights in front of Ralph and weakly said, I'm sorry. He then swooped her into his arms before they released a glorious laugh. <laughs> that night, he went out and bought a fudge crunch ice cream cake from Baskin Robbins and they ate it in bed, his hand caressing Layla's stomach the entire time. Said that I would make it up to you 
Neither of them could remember the last time their home had been filled with such happiness. <laughs> he offered to relinquish his responsibilities for his Boston-based project in order to wait on Layla hand and foot, but she refused. You said I'd find so many, many better things to This child was different because it was growing and changing her from the inside out. Persevering from the first trimester and moving past the middle of the second. Layla's brown skin became dewy, a sunset behind a hill. Her hair, once fine and short, sprouted thick and unbridled. Her neighbors craned their necks when she passed them on the sidewalk. Her walk was different. hearing in this episode was sampled from the song Unfermented by French Cassettes. And now for a quick commercial break. You are listening to Storybound with Morgan Jerkins and French Cassettes. And now we return from our break. Neither of them could remember the last time their home had been filled with such happiness. Something was bound to happen to Layla's baby. This child was different because it was growing and changing her from the inside out. Instead of her usual erect posture, she hunched lightly, her legs waddling. Mrs. Reserve got a baby in her. Bystanders whispered on their front stoops behind their potted amaryllis bulbs and hibiscuses. A pair of meddling women could not restrain their curiosity and approached a five months pregnant Layla as she walked by their brownstone's front stoop one sunny afternoon. Oh, hi, ladies. Layla smiled and placed a hand on her belly. Good afternoon, Layla. Good afternoon, Layla, they replied one after another. The women, Sydney and Constance, could smell the sweat and sweet aroma stemming from her groin. They squinted with intrigue when they could not find that call, that special skin-like membrane dangling from her neck. What else will explain why she was still pregnant if not for the extra assistance that no gynecologist could provide? When these meddling women did not say anything else after their initial greeting, Layla followed their intense eyes to her bare neck and nervously rubbed her throat. What are you staring at? Layla asked. Sorry, it's just, I mean, it's a miracle that you're still pregnant, Constance said. She received a sharp elbow to the side of her left breast by Sydney. What she means is that it's a blessing and we're happy for you. Thank you, but that still doesn't answer the question. What were you looking at? Sydney and Constance looked at each other with uneasy, tense faces. What? Spit it out, 
Layla laughed, but inside she found nothing funny about the moment. Well, we thought that you might have gotten help from those melon song women. Oh no, nope. Layla wagged her right porter finger in the air and shook her head. I don't want to get involved with that mess. You're not saying you actually believe in that, do you? I admit that I've been curious from time to time, Constance said. I mean, have you ever seen one of them up close? They must have something extra on their skin, but it doesn't look like ours. It's like another layer, like a shield. It's hard to describe. What if it's true what they say, that it could protect or heal you? Layla stared at the ground and made small circles with her right foot. Her belly was extending her shadow, and she imagined the day when her shadow would part into two. She's standing, her small child leaning against her side. I don't know, Layla said. I don't know. It just seems weird. Well, we've all heard the stories, Sydney said. You have to wonder why some gossip like that would float around all these years if there wasn't a lick of truth to it. And since you got money, it's... Constance elbowed Sydney again. All right, jeez. Hey, listen. If you don't believe, go to their bodega up on 142nd Adam Clayton Powell. The daughter, Josephine... She may be in there. Good luck with your pregnancy, Layla. Constance gently pulled Sydney away so that they could walk in the opposite direction of Layla. They argued all the way to the end of the block over whether or not it was appropriate to bring up the melon songs until they became too distant for Layla to hear anything else that they were saying. It didn't matter. The seed was planted. Layla rubbed her throat and sternum as she reconsidered their questioning of her pregnancy. In fact, Layla forgot which errand had made her leave the house in the first place. Who was she kidding? For all the kicks and hunger pangs, she was haunted by the fear of another miscarriage. No matter how many times her doctor assured her that the baby was safely growing with a steady, fast heartbeat, she could not be too certain. What if there was some truth to what they said about the Melanson women? She'd never actually seen one up close. Her curiosity got the best of her. She decided to see if they appeared just as Sydney said. The music you're hearing in this episode was sampled from Joby and Alexandra Woodward. And now for our final break. You are listening to Storybound with Morgan Jerkins and French cassettes. And now for our final chapter. The bodega was on the end of a block full of similar real estate, as was the way with many a Harlem street corner. Another deli, another crown fried chicken, and a laundromat. When Layla entered the store, there was a young curly haired woman filing her nails at the cash register and a man placing hamburger patties on the griddle. But Layla was the only customer. The entrance door chimed, and Layla turned her neck to see a sophisticated woman strutting into the bodega, wearing patent leather pumps and a cream-colored tweed suit dress. She had mahogany skin and amber eyes that alternated between rolling around and cutting into two fine slits as she reprimanded the cashier for her repeated tardiness. She had to be one of the Melanson women. She was indeed a sight to behold. 
Layla strolled down the aisles and saw the usual brands of Oreos, Cheez-Its, multi-purpose house cleaners, and canned goods. These items were cheaper by 40 or so cents than those sold at the bodega closest to our home. How was it that this woman could afford such expensive attire from managing a run-of-the-mill bodega? Did she think she was too good to wear t-shirts and jeans like everyone else who worked behind those counters? She created an entire narrative in her head about this woman. She had to be stuck up, and her attire was a way to prove that she was better than everyone else. Most stuck-up people tended to be bitchy and rude. That's probably why people always gossip about the Melanchons, but no one ever knew them. They didn't let people get too close because they were bougie. And though the moniker applied to her too, Layla knew that bougie black folk were the most insufferable kind of black folk. Layla looked over the top shelf of the aisle where she stood and saw that Melanchon woman watching her. Good afternoon, she said, flashing a brilliant smile. Her voice was like fresh silk with a slight rasp at the end. Layla's throat dried up. <clears throat> she cleared it and said, Good afternoon. Let me know if you need any help, okay? We've moved some things around in here. Huh. Oh, sure. Thank you. Layla lowered her head and grabbed two boxes of Chips Ahoy for when she would be hungry later. When she approached the cashier, the Melanson woman was watching a television mounted on the back wall beside all the over-the-counter drugs and travel-sized toiletries. The local news was reporting that the International Monetary Fund was expanding its anti-money laundering units across the United States. As this woman leaned closer to the screen, the sleeve of her jacket inched higher and Layla's eyes bulged at the sight of a glossy film on her wrist that dazzled in the light. Is this all? The woman asked. Oh, maybe. Can I get a copy of New York Magazine? Layla pointed to it. The Melanson woman moved too quickly along the edges and hissed at one of the pages slicing her fingers. A paper cut was painful. But Layla didn't think that her response of hurriedly turning her back, hunching over and covering her entire hand was necessary. There were a box of band-aids and a bottle of hydrogen peroxide right on the back shelf if she needed it. After a few seconds, Josephine turned around and said, sorry, how embarrassing. That's okay. Don't worry about it. As the woman reached for the New York Magazine with the same hand as before, Layla saw that there wasn't so much as a nick on any of her fingers. The woman looked down at one of the titles of the inside stories detailing a new labor trafficking act being debated in New York and smirked. That's some pretty heavy reading for a pregnant woman. <laughs> it's always good to be aware of what's going on. Indeed, she slowly rang up the newspaper and took a beat with the two boxes of Chips Ahoy. If I can ask, how far along are you? Excuse me? You're on The woman repeated herself and blinked her eyes twice with anticipation. How far along are you? Oh. Lila took a beat and peered deeper into the woman's eyes. How far along are you? Five months. The woman directed the cashier to go to the back to check inventory. 
The male cook was in the middle of grilling the hamburger meat, and the grease popping from the griddle was loud enough to drown out their conversation. First kid, she whispered as she leaned over the counter. I, well, not quite. You see, I, I don't want to unload on you. It's just, it's okay. I get it. I've been there too. You have? The woman nodded. Many times. Layla sighed with relief and dropped her shoulders. I'm scared. I've been feeling so lonely throughout this. How did you get through it? I'm Josephine. Layla. Layla Reserve. Layla extended her hand. And Josephine shook it. Josephine surveyed the large emerald cut diamond on Layla's left ring finger and said, Are you getting all the proper care you need? I think so, but you can never be too careful, you know? Indeed. 639. Huh? Layla saw her bag items and blurted out, Oh, sorry, thanks. You're welcome, and good luck with the baby. When Layla left the bodega, she thought that perhaps she had made a new friend in the most unexpected of places. As much as she wanted to find any characteristic of Josephine's to hate, she couldn't. And then Layla felt bad for assuming the worst about her before their conversation. Josephine wasn't bougie acting, rude, bitchy, or stuck up. She was beautiful and kind, and they were two women experiencing the same problem with their wombs. No matter how special that extra layer of skin was, it was, it could not prevent the plague of infertility. And this misfortune made Josephine more human than any gossip could ever hold space for. was a story told by Morgan Jerkins. This excerpt was adapted for Storybound from Morgan's book, Call Baby. That's C-A-U-L-B-A-B-Y, Call Baby. For anyone unaware, call birth is when the baby comes out of birth when the sac is still intact. The sac is called a call, C-A-U-L, and a call birth is so rare that only one in every 80,000 people are born that way. You can purchase yourself a copy of Call Baby at your beloved local bookseller. It's available now in paperback, Thank you to our friends, French Cassettes. Their song, Unfermented, is one of my favorites. It's been on my rotation ever since they came out on the show for season three with Madhari Vijay. French Cassettes give their Rolodex EP a listen. Also, thank you to South Paz, Joby, Wendy Marcini, Matt Large, Alexandra Woodward, Daniel Friedel, and Epidemic Sound. Thank you to Hannah Bishop at HarperCollins. Thank you to Jordan, our production assistant. And as always, thank you to Tim Carplus, our mixing engineer. Did you hear that Tim released a song? It is called So What? So what if you happen to have Spotify open? Of course you do. You're already subscribed to the show on Spotify since that's what you're listening to the show through right now. So What? by Tim Carplus. Storybound is arranged, produced, and hosted by me, Jude Brewer. Our executive producers are Jeff Umbro of the Podglomerate and Justin Alvarez of LitHub. What do you think of the season so far? Please tell us. Write to us on Twitter at StoryboundPod. Only say nice things there, but if you want to say something mean, you can write me on Twitter at Jude Brewery. 
We're also on Instagram at StoryboundPod, and I believe we have a Facebook. I don't know. I'm not on there, but if you are, you might share a link to the episode you just finished listening to. And for some reason, if you're still listening to this, even though I've got nothing left to say, new episodes of Storybound are every Tuesday. See you then. The Podglomerate, a sonic universe.